We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. All right, welcome back into another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I have on a Joe's Kansas City Barbecue t-shirt. I am joined, as normally, by Josh and Joel. Joseph, how are we doing tonight? Oh, I'm hanging in there, man. I, I went out and played golf with my dad yesterday, and it was one of the few times. Like, I go and play every like at least once every couple of weeks. I don't know what I did differently, but I am so sore today. Like, I should not be sore after playing golf, and it's not like I walked. Like we rode in the cart, we barely had to do anything, and I was sitting at my desk today, just miserable. Like, is this how it ends? Like, I found a gray hair in my beard today. Like, shit's just going downhill for me, man. I noticed today that up here on like the top right of my head might be receding a little bit. Like the first glimpse of a receding hairline. Join the club, buddy. <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't know if I ever told you this, but like when we met, when you were like 22 years old and you already like started to show a little bit, I was like, wow. Like, I can't tell if this guy is 22 or 42. Like he's got to be somewhere in there though. I, I've been told I'm an old soul for a very long time, which just, it was just a nice way for adults to tell me that I didn't have serotonin when I was 10. So <laughs> that's just, that's just where we're at in life. <laughs> Jashawa, how are we doing? Uh, fine. What are you looking? What's over there? I'm just looking. You're looking for, for that Hunter Dozier double play that uh, <laughs> happened at the beginning of we this game. Okay. Did you guys see there was a minor league ballpark? I oh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I think it was a minor league ballpark that had imaginary friends night get in for free or something like that. <laughs> Your imaginary friend gets into free. I was like, that is, that is genius. That's one of my favorite promotions I've ever seen. That's really. Do you guys have imaginary friends? I had one. I probably did, but I'm. I was probably. I'm too young to remember. I had a sidekick gorilla that wore like a vest and an Indiana Jones hat. Name was Jake. (laughs) Jake. Of all names, you chose Jake. I don't know. I don't know why Jake happened, but it happened. 
and he was a big presence in my life. If you were going to have a sidekick, is there any other animal that you would want besides maybe a tiger? A pterodactyl, like a ride it around. Okay, that might be good. Have you ever no. seen Nate Bargatze's bit about how easy it is to get a tiger in America? <laughs> I love Bargatze. I, <laughs> I, I don't that remember guy is the bit. so funny. You've got to so look good. it up. Nate Bargatze, buy a tiger. It is hysterical because okay. his takeaway is basically it is way too easy to buy a tiger in this country. And he doesn't That's... want he doesn't want to ban guns because those are the same people who would buy tigers. And <laughs> That's essentially what, I mean, that's what kicked off the pandemic for most of us is the Tiger King. And if I took anything from that damn show, it was that it's too easy to buy anything. It's too easy to buy anything, period. Pride of Wynwood, Oklahoma, baby. Jesus. (laughs) Well, let's get into it, guys. I put out real quick. Real quick, we are, <laughs> this is still a very new read to us, but hey, guys, the wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and in anywhere across the Sunflower State to celebrate. DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. Thursday night is almost here. Want more action for opening night kickoff? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any pro football team of your choice. If your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and over, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas. On behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. And now to you, Alex. I'm out of breath. Holy crap. But did you say money limes? I'm very interested in the limes. I think I just I <laughs> I don't know what money limes are. I think I just the money doesn't grow on. on trees unless they're money limes. <laughs> carry on. We are hey, on fire tonight. DraftKings, screw Dabo Sweeney. Screw that one hurt. That, guy. that one hurt. I screw lied. Him. We we both lied. did you get it at plus twenty four and a half? Uh yeah. Yeah, same. That hurt. Put in the better quarterback at the end to run hurry up four wide when the game was in. Meanwhile, hand. Georgia, After Georgia Tech is trying to, get to out. concede the game. They're trying to just go and get their chicken sandwich and get out of town. Like Dude, they were, they I were done. Get it. I get it. If they're trying to score, they were trying to concede, and Clemson's like, "Screw you! Watch this. We have more. You know how many quarterbacks we could score on you with? Four, five, six. Our punter might be able to do it. They put in the Jesus. better quarterback on the last right. drive." Oh Whatever. Let's let's talk baseball. Let's get let's out of here. Let's do it. We I, So I put out a tweet. I wanted to know your thoughts. And I wrote today um, five overwhelming positives from the Royal season. But in that article on – you can check out our website, royalsfarmport.com. I, I wrote that, look, there's still plenty of season left. We will do more season review after the season ends. But with a month left, I think there's still enough – that you can watch for, right? You can still take something away from September. So let's very quickly get some people's thoughts. And then what I kind of want to do is in October, November, 
maybe we can look back at these and go, okay, here are some things we said from 30,000 feet now that the season's passed us behind us. Do we still agree with all these takes that we had on what is today, September 6th? So here is anonymous message. I want to talk about number one. This guy went off. I have like three entire paragraphs. Like this is what happens to my phone <laughs> when I come home a little bit late from like an event with the boys. This is what my phone looks like for my wife. Like three <laughs> entire paragraphs of get him like, a I'm job, a get him writing on the website. I'm afraid to read it all. This is a blog post. This guy said, can you, can you just give us the crux of what, what happened here? I don't have to. Yeah, attention span no, for, three for sure. So three big highlights. I want to take away from his message here. Number one, expectations may have been a little too high coming into the season. I may have been at fault for some of that. I feel like I was driving a little bit of the hype train towards 500. I think mm -hmm. I picked them to win 79 games. Mm -hmm. I also, I want to be clear. I want everybody to know. I tried to warn everybody about the rotation. I tried to tell everybody the rotation is not going to be good. And I legitimately had people ask me why I will go dig it up on Twitter, but they were like, well, what's not to like about the rotation? Daniel Lynch, Carlos Hernandez looked great. And I was like, uh, his name rhymes with Pal Schmeldred. Like, there's going to be some issues with the pitching staff. With that being said, I kind of what ended up happening is I kind of I kind of pussed out. I don't know if I can say that. So sorry, sorry. <laughs> kind of pussed out. Bleep it up. Because what ended up happening is everybody else talked me into the pitching staff being good, and I just went with it. I said maybe they're not great, but I think the offense will be good. I really thought the bullpen would be pretty good. So my bad on that note. But yeah. the bullpen's been good in pockets. Let's let's be fair. It has. And when the Royals have a lead, I'm actually pretty comfortable with them keeping it. It's yes. just they do not have the ability to keep close games close when they're That's down. Correct. So like if they, if they have been, a two run lead in the eighth inning, you feel pretty good that you can send some combination yeah. of like Garrett, Coleman, Stalmont. You can feel like you can win a ball game. Yeah. Absolutely. But if they go to extras, you're like, oh no. Yep. Carlos Hernandez, here it is. This game's over. Yeah. So well. I thought the bullpen would be better, but I will say expectations were too high considering the pal in the dugout and having absolutely no progress from anyone outside of Brady Singer in the rotation. Every single other pitcher in the rotation has either been stagnant or gotten worse. Carlos Hernandez fell off a cliff. Brad Keller fell off a cliff. Everybody else has been worse. So, mm -hmm. Josh, we'll start with you. Expectations were too high, true or false? Uh, I mean, true. Yeah. I, I, I was on the same boat with you. I think we said something like we were hitting that sweet spot of like 74 to 77 wins on the year. And I always thought that that was way too low. I was, I was pumping the, like the 79 to 81, uh, range a little bit harder, which I always do every year. Uh, drink the Kool-Aid. I, I feel the positivity of springtime in the air coming off of a Christmas high and looking forward to March Madness. And then we get to March Madness and spring training. It's, it's got a whiff of hope amongst it. So I start drinking that Kool-Aid and hoping things get better. And then you come crashing down to earth when May hits. Every year it happens. Every year it's going to always happen because I never learned my lesson here. I was about but to ask, will you learn your lesson for next year? Not, not a chance in hell. Not a chance in hell, Joel. Um, but it's just like uh, – expectations i thought were too high your logic there of being like I, you mentioned like the improving and developing was the main acquisition on the year you want like you brought bobby witt jr a lot of uh 
you know, expectations on him to be the difference maker and be the one to get him over the hump. And that, you know, in hindsight makes a lot of sense, especially when, I mean, they added Grinky and that's essentially it. Um, so it, it made a lot of sense that why would it get better? But that's what you got this youth movement. It's always going to be a weird jump. One of these years, you got to think so. Hell yes. I'm already saying they're going to be above 500 next year already. Joel, were expectations too high? Yeah, I think I think so. But I also had them at 77 wins, which I don't think was, was too far off from what I think they could have been preseason. Like, it's – I feel like probably – pace now? Uh, 65. Oh, yeah. Just, hey, that's not 100 losses. Right. They're just south of that mark right now. Yeah. Right. So if that's the case, then absolutely it was. I mean, this season fell way, way short of it. And, but I also think, I don't know. I'll think I'll probably talk more about this later this week. So I'll just leave it at, they probably, they probably were. Is it, is it fair to say that expectations were about right in this team just underperformed? Like, I think that's the better, I think that's the better angle to take with this. Is is that a fair, that's a fair take? It's, it's, It's fair, I think, but at the same time, it's a young roster. We knew that coming into it, and that youth is usually volatile. And especially when they start making those graduations, you're never quite sure what you're going to get from a Vinny Pasquantino, from an NJ Melendez, from a Nick Prado, from all these seven or eight to nine rookies they have in this momentum. You never know what you're going to get from there. It's always going to be volatile, so it's always going to be uh, kind of a toss-up what you get. Yeah, so (laughs) I – dog gets it too (laughs) i agree with you josh i do think that is the right way to look at it that the team was going to be too young that we probably should have seen this coming that expectations were a little too high but joel like you said i do think there's an area like a gray area here where maybe expectations were right and this team just didn't play up to them like this team we should have expected this from royals fans so i'm somewhere in the middle um but that was take number one is expectations were a little too high probably but i still think it's fair to say even if expectations were a little too high this team underperformed whatever your expectations were so there is anonymous take number one anonymous take number two the hitting development made this season seem less bad than it is and i am extremely confident in our offense next year 100 Do, does oh, yeah. anybody disagree with that at all no. not at all if nope. if the offensive progressions hadn't continued let's say they stayed stagnant like the i think the pitching took a step backwards i will give them stagnant let's just call it stagnant if the offense doesn't take another step and stay stagnant are we sitting here with any optimism right now no no what would there be to be optimistic about that yeah nothing like you are absolutely blowing it up like and i still think there are things you need to blow up in the offseason but like i think we would look at a legit tear down from like you get John Sherman and then everything else is just kaput. Like I don't see any other scenario if the hitting didn't take the step that it did. I agree. It did. Hitting's been outstanding. MJ Melendez looks like a potential superstar at the plate. Bobby Wood Jr. looks like a superstar all over the baseball field. Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino look like they're going to be able to hold their own. Michael Massey looks like a potential everyday player. I mean, the hitting development has been unbelievable. His glove is as advertised, if not better. I know everybody yes. talked about his gold glove in the minor leagues last year. At second base, you kind of be like, uh, whatever. It's been great, man. His he's glove gone. is ridiculous. And he's going to get points kind of like Lopez got last year. 
for like on Fangraphs defensive ratings because yeah. he's not forcing them to overshift everybody. If you notice, they're starting to leak Lopez a little bit back to the left because Michael Massey is so rangy at second base and Nicky Lopez mm-hmm. is so rangy up the middle that they can space them out a little bit further, which is bonus points. So yeah, both of those guys, very good. Um, and then his third take, um, he does see he this guy does feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel for some of our pitchers. I feel like if we can change the pitching staff and philosophy that these guys have talent and are capable of blooming, it's not like they're totally void of talent. Agreed. Totally yep. agree. I do think there is a certain amount of like a chicken or the egg situation with this. Like, is the pitching coach the entire problem or were there obviously some no such thing as a pitching prospect type problems with some of these guys and they weren't going to work out and the development has kind of stumbled on top of it. So I'm going to talk a little more about that tomorrow, but I think that's kind of my takeaway is I agree, but we also were unsure. And I think that's why we want to see a change in pitching staff to really know, Hey, is the, is the pitching coach the problem and the pitching development, the problem, or is it just these guys didn't make it? It's that, that chicken of the egg situation is awesome. That's a, a great analogy. Well, let's 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 twist that thought a little bit. Let's remove the pitchers from this because another person who messaged us said they don't think it's inherently Cal Eldred's fault, but maybe this is a front office thing where Cal Eldred might be. I'll give you a great example as a teacher. I get a curriculum like I have to. I have to stick to a state curriculum. I can't just teach whatever the hell I want in a classroom all day, every day, that would not be good. I'd get fired. That would be very bad. Like technically I have to do, I have to teach from the state curriculum. If a parent came to me and said, Hey, I don't like what you're teaching. I'd say too bad, tough toenails, go talk to somebody else. Maybe Cal Eldred really is a good teacher. Maybe he really is a good coach and the curriculum he's being fed from the front office is the problem. I I'm at the point where I am willing to concede this possibility. I am willing to concede. Now, I have heard phenomenal things about Cal Elder, the human being. I've never heard anybody say anything remotely positive about him, the pitching coach, in terms of what he's preaching. But I've never heard anybody complain. Well, not anybody. Rarely. I've only ever heard one person complain about the, the coaching style here. I'm willing to concede that maybe this isn't a Cal Eldred problem that like Joel said maybe a total teardown of the pitching infrastructure needs to happen they need to scrap everything they thought they knew about pitching and start over it's not working and I hate how mad they get about that like Dayton Moore comes out and parades around we love Cal Eldred he's doing a great job maybe he is I'm actually on Dayton Moore's side of this I guarantee you Cal Eldred is doing exactly what they want them to do I am turning my attention now to the front office. If you want pitchers to be successful on the mound at the big league level, you have to do something else, whether it's scouting, maybe it is the players, maybe it's coaching, maybe it's development, maybe it's pitch design. I don't know, but I'm with this guy. I am willing to concede the possibility this is no longer a Cal Eldred problem, and this comes from above his head. But I also think like you need to tear this thing down to the studs like they did with hitting back in the 2019 offseason. And – just completely bring in a new voice and see what happens. Cause I like, I'm at the point now where I, I do, I agree with you to a certain extent. Like it's just kind of a, a whatever thing. And, but I, you just don't know until you get a new voice in there. And it's very clear that the voice they brought in 
in Drew Saylor, along with the combination of Mike Tozar, Alex Zumwalt, that very clearly worked. So there's precedent for making wholesale changes and it paying dividends at the big league level. So why not try it on the pitching side too? I was looking at this today, similarly, the situation from top to bottom. It is an entire organizational thing. It is the storm chasers total K's on the year. They're four, they're 20th out of 20 teams in the international league. Naturals are seventh out of 10 river bandits are 11th out of 12th. The fireflies are 12th out of 12th. So this is a top to bottom situation that <clears throat> if we're trying to spin this, the we've t- when we talked to Kyle Bodie, he was talking about the disconnect between the levels of minor league baseball and the uh, development team, the strategists, the front office, and there being a big disconnect between them about approach, style, development, period, which blew my mind at the time. But if there's a silver lining here, it's that at least they're consistent. It seems like that that communication between the top to bottom are there. It's just not great. So that's there's your there's your silver lining. But yeah, it just seems like it's weird that it's top to bottom. I refuse to believe that all these pitchers are just this bad. It's it's very strange. And I will say, and along the lines of what Joel said, Alex Zumwalt was in this organization when they brought in Drew Saylor. Alex Zumwalt. I don't want to call Alex Zumwalt part of the problem because, to be honest, I don't necessarily know what his role was in the the issues that took place in 2019. I don't, I don't, I, we were fairly young in that regard. I wasn't totally in tune with what Alex Zumwalt's specific role was. However, he was in the organization. So if we're gonna if we're gonna call the pitching staff in the in the pitching development part of the problem now, it is possible that somebody in there can be part of the solution too, because Alex Zumwalt has one thousand percent been a part of the solution. It doesn't even have to be a teardown of the people. It has to be a teardown of philosophy. Credit where it's due to Alex Zumwalt. They brought in Drew Saylor. They brought in Mike Tosar. They put their heads together, and they found a better way to develop hitters together. It didn't necessarily require getting everybody out. Alex Zumwalt was there with the bad. He's been here with the good. Maybe Paul Gibson can be that guy. I don't know. I'm not saying that somebody has to lose their job, but they need to look in the mirror, find something that they can that they can build around because I think they have the talent. I agree. And the philosophy just needs to change. Um, let's get a little conspiratorial. Everybody wrap your tinfoil hat on go. really quick. Juicy. One of my favorite, you guys know me. I have not been very public about this. I did write about it today for the first time. Not a Whit Merrifield fan. Never really was. I just didn't care for the guy. I don't want to call him a try hard because I hate that word. Like <laughs> I, hate, I hate that society like knocks people for trying hard. It is I think you call thing, him, in my opinion. What about a hardo? Is hardo different than a try hard? A, a little bit. So I feel like hard-o. that is a little, that is maybe more that apt be in this. Yeah. I, I really do. I hate people like, oh, he tries. Yeah. What a so, loser. <laughs> maybe, maybe a hardo is the right word. Never been a Merrifield fan. Very faux leader, like thrown in. Not a, anyway, this guy's conspiracy theory it seems like Brady Singer's season really took off during the Toronto trip when Whit Merrifield wasn't there and then after they traded him. <laughs> well, to Hold be on. fair, Brady wasn't in Toronto in that series. So also true. Uh, but I, uh, I okay. get the crux, I get the crux of what he's saying, though. There's the hole in the argument, but also he goes on to be like, maybe 
He's like, you know, Salvi and Lorenzo Cain were like good buddies, messed with each other. He's like, maybe Whit Merrifield was bullying Brady Singer. And that's why Brady <laughs> Singer was a good picture. I'll be honest, it straight really seems that way. Like, it came across like super sarcastic on Twitter, but I'm like, something about this doesn't feel right. Like, it doesn't seem like it's good hearted jabbing at a certain no. point. No pun intended, considering they weren't in Toronto, but you know. Whatever. Yeah. So, anyway, I thought that was kind of funny because I'm not like super opposed to the idea that getting rid of Whit Merrifield was good for the organization. I just don't know that it had anything specific to do with Brady Singer, but I'm here for it. Um, another anonymous take. Um, I'm frustrated. This was supposed to be a year of competition, and maybe if they'd made any moves during the offseason to get there, they could have pretended for more than five seconds that they were going to compete, but they didn't even bring up the rookies until their hands were forced. And then another um, Cal Eldred comment. I am... <laughs> on the side of they definitely ran the hype train without doing anything other than adding Bobby yep. Jr. They they did this to themselves in some capacity. All they had to do was shut up. Have you guys ever what seen? They, they got to sell tickets. They can't shut up. They got to oh, sell tickets. Gosh. Dude, you can hype up. I, I'm not a marketing strategist. Maybe the only way to sell tickets is to lie and like, pump smoke up the fans' ass. Maybe that's the only way. I refuse to believe that that's the only way. Like, maybe it is. But you guys ever seen Chris Rock's? Um, never mind. We'll, we'll go on. <laughs> nope. Just nope out of that one. Anyway. I, you got you to gotta believe in yourself before you can ask anybody else to believe in you. Period. The end. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to get to an overly negative comment. The the overall, the Royal, let me start over. Overall Royals feelings from 2022 is that this organization is just pathetic. It doesn't look like anyone besides Singer is improving on the pitching staff. And Matheny insists on playing the worst players in baseball every day. We don't even get to watch the fun players. Just complete apathy every year. And this is no different. So that's not my take. It's not my opinion. <laughs> I am so just here's regurgitating the opinions of other people in my DMs. Joel, are we there yet in panic mode with this organization is just pathetic? No. I mean, th this is a situation where, like, you know when you go on, like, Google reviews, if, like, you're looking for a nice restaurant or a new barber shop or something like that, and you see, like, the best review of all time, and you're like, oh, okay, that person's probably regular, and then the one person that had an awful experience gives it a one star and craps on it, like you throw those two out and then you go to the middle, like the super Homer, like Dayton is the greatest person on the planet and everything is awesome. And the season is just unfortunate. And the people that are hellfire and brimstone and are never happy on social media and act like they are miserable all the time. You, th I throw those out. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with those people. Like, especially with 162 game baseball season, if you are that miserable and awful feeling all the time, I don't want to be around you. Like, I just don't like you can have an, a negative opinion, but when it is every single tweet on your timeline, like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to interact with this. It's just to me, like, it's just a, a miserable waste of time. So I get the, the person. I get the frustration. I get the panic. I'm not there because it's not worth it. Hops off soapbox. <laughs> if, if this season is the one that like gets people to hit the panic button, then that panic button is in shattered pieces all over the place because people have been a hammering it since 2017 and B they're hammering it more and more every damn year. It's just, 
just are just getting hit so many times it's no longer a button it's just the missing you know that little peg that that's like in arcade machines and they just they've even mashed that down to a fine uh, fine nothingness so that's yeah it, it, this is just it, he's right it's every year every year since 2017 the apathy is there by june we get it it's totally understandable we live in that and live in that mud I'm glad we're all sort of in agreement there that it's not quite time. Like now isn't the time to be hitting the panic button. I get the frustration, but uh-uh. maybe a little bit overkill. Yep. Yep. Um, this is one of my favorite messages we got. Thoughts for 2022. This Royals team has been a kick to the plums, followed <laughs> by a pretty lady taking pity on us and nursing us back to health, only to find out that she stole our identity and might be actively poisoning us a la Kathy Bates in misery. <laughs> That's exactly the, 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 the vision I saw too. <laughs> well done. Kudos, also, to the, kudos to the creativity to the person that uh, yeah. sent that. I did feel that in my legs. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. I'm looking. I thought there was another good one before we got to the one where I wanted to go over with you guys. Just go to the one that you really wanted to hit because I don't want to waste Tucker's time. Hi, Tucker. <laughs> I know you're listening to this right now as you're editing. Let's um, yeah, let's go through. I'll go find that one I sent you guys because it was a really good one. It like summed up the year perfectly. <laughs> Here we go. 2022 is ultimately a disappointment, and I do believe the front office sees it the same way. 2022 showed us that our methods for developing quality pitching at all levels still lags behind. However, our commitment to the hitting, hitting, deve- hitting mm. development showed as several young rookies showed glimpses of plate discipline and power combined with usual royal qualities of athleticism and flashy defense that kept me interested even when the veterans let us down. I, could you have summed up any of it more perfectly? No, that's about it. No, it's pretty solid. That is I, where I'm at is so – and. I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over. I don't know how else to put it. I don't want to keep focusing on the bad, but the frustrating part is we've seen the Royals correct this. We've seen the Royals go, hey, that's a problem. Fix it now. Mm. And snap of the fingers and the shit was fixed. 2019, problem. We didn't get 2020, so maybe that was a blessing in disguise. But 2021, Shit's fixed. It was fixed immediately. We've seen them do this. Why do they have their rose-colored glasses on when it comes to the pitching? Why can't they look at it and go, that's a problem. Fix it. Why? So maybe he's right. Maybe the guy that sent them that message is right. And this offseason, we'll get that improvement. We will get that fixed. They will go out. They'll find somebody. They'll fix it. I hope the organization sees it the same way. And we have a reason to believe it. We have a reason to believe that they're capable of doing this. They've done it recently. Three years ago, they did the same thing. They fixed it. Well, and some of this, too, it, it comes back a little bit on ownership to press things forward. I'm not asking John Sherman to be Jerry Jones, but he was in that ownership group in Cleveland. That's a pitching factory. They pick, They could pick any of the three of us off the street, give us six months of a weight program and pitch design. We probably can go at least throw to a nine ERA in single A, like, and not be awful, right? Like, that's just what Cleveland does. He knows what it takes to win a championship and to, and it, and it drives home 
having really good pitchers from inside in a small market where you're not going to go and spend in free agency on a nine-figure pitcher. You have to do it from within because you're not going to spend that way. So I hope that John Sherman actually just goes, you know what? We need to fix this now. Like this hat, this cannot continue if we want to win. It had, if you want to talk about pitching be the, being the currency of baseball, if Dayton Moore wants to be about that action with that quote, then they need to make changes this offseason. Like it is that critical because if they come to next season with the same development and the same coaching staff, how do we see this team winning 75 games? Well, even with how good the offense is. I, I can hear the listeners screaming at us through their through their speakers saying, why didn't they say this last year? Why didn't Sherman say, hey, we got to get this figured out, folks, because this pitching group is too good, too valuable, too many assets poured into it. Why can't we have to figure this out now? I, I could just feel that uh, from the listeners. And it's totally, totally we're in the same boat. Like there are promising things that were like, well, is that enough to keep Cal Elgin around or keep this whole development structure with within and still together and still being the direction of this pitching? Or has there been enough to promote the change? Is there enough there? Gotta be. With with how these organizations are ranked from top to bottom, it's got to. But it's just, it, it seems like it's the same situation we were in last year. This is the same situation we're in every year. Everything about late August, early September, we see these young guys like, hey, maybe Aldoberto Mondes, he's going to do something next year. Maybe maybe this player that we've never seen more who just hit three home runs in a week, maybe that's somebody. Maybe we Ryan O'Hearn, Barry week. Bonds. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, Sorry, I, just, I, I, I couldn't resist. You can't because it's happening. Thank you to everybody who reached out. We don't have if, – if we had another hour, we could go through all of them. But I was <laughs> shocked by how many people actually sent us their thoughts, which as apathetic as everything should be, um, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised how many people wanted to voice their opinions. Sorry we couldn't get to all of you. Thanks for listening. Um, really quick, Joel's going to give us our tickets for less ad read, and then we're going to bring Marcus on. All right, if you're looking to take your crew out to the K this summer, be sure to check out our friends at Tickets for Less. Ticketsforless.com has the best selection of tickets to all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and shows, including the Royals. Tickets for Less never charges per ticket fee, saving you big time over the other sites out there. You can save even more when you use our exclusive partner code at checkout. Simply enter code KCSN22 when ordering your seats at Ticketsforless.com. That code again, KCSN22. Only two home stands left uh, with the Guardians and Tigers this week. They're on the road. I don't know who they play in the midweek, but I know Seattle comes in the end of September if you want to watch a playoff team come through uh, Kaufman there at the end of the year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, welcome in now. Uh, Marcus Mead of Royals Weekly. Marcus, really quick before we get started here, we got to hear a quick ad from our sponsor at Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. All right, Marcus, thanks for coming in tonight. Appreciate your time. I know you guys just had an episode of Royals Weekly go up, so appreciate you coming on to the show for your second podcast of the, of the week. Um, Marcus, I know you had some thoughts. I wrote an article about deal or no deal. Here are three options for an extension. You can get Prado and Melendez. You can, I'm sorry, you can get Prado and Pasquantino. You can get Melendez, or you can get Witt. Mm-hmm. You had some opinions on that matter. I said I think the answer is Melendez, although I think Prado and Pasquantino were close. Josh, did you have a strong opinion about which way to lean there? Uh, I, I was also on the Prado and Vinny train, I believe. Okay. Marcus, where would you lean if you had to extend one of those groups? And, and where are you looking at pros and cons for, for, the, for the young hitters, and how do you extend them? I think the number one thing to consider when you're asking yourself a question like that is, uh, are any is any one player going to be valuable than more valuable than two players? And I think what the Angels have shown us is that it's really, really, really hard to have any one player or even two players be better than an entire lineup full of good players. And so if you're trying to build an entire lineup of good players, you start with two, not with one in my mind. And so like, you know, the notion of just extending one person to a huge contract, I know the Melendez one you put out there isn't as big as like the the Bobby Wood Jr. one you put out there. And it certainly wouldn't take as much to get Melendez as it will at some point take to get Bobby Wood Jr. But the question should really just be broken down into a simple formula. Would you rather have two good players or one really good player? I'd rather have two good players because 
I would rather have a lineup. I'd rather start moving towards a lineup full of good players than have one or two even standout players who are then just not. If you're talking about winning ball games, then it's more important to have depth in a lineup than it is to have a superstar talent. And I think the Yankees are showing us that right now. I think that their lineup is pretty top heavy. The angels have shown us that for a long time. We need to learn these lessons, right? It it needs to be an up and down lineup or they're going to do something like pitch around Melendez, or they're going to do something like just, you know, Melendez will get on a lot. He'll hit for some power and then they'll go dry and they'll score two or three runs a game. And so, yeah, I'm all about uh, extending multiple guys if I can. I know both of those are first baseman in your scenario. Nick Prado, that's, that's rough. Right. So it's almost like a player and a half in some ways. But you're talking about two guys who to this or at least in, a guy in Pasquantino, who at this point, I think has probably shown a little bit more than it looks like he's going to be a little more consistent with the bat, I think, than 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 Melendez and Prado. And so, yeah, I would extend those two and then um, do what I can to cycle other guys through. When you look at it, Melendez, actually, I didn't give him as much AAV as I gave Prado and Pasquantino. Do you think that there is any value gained from a long-term cheaper contract? Or if you're the Royals, would you look to but would you would you look to buy out fewer years by giving them more money? Or would you look to be extending years on these guys and trying to save money by extending the years out? I think their only option will be I think the best chance to get any of these guys to take that kind of long-term contract is more money and fewer years. And then you make the argument to them that in your late twenties, you're going to get to go on to free agency and get that big deal in your late twenties or early thirties. You're going to have another chance to get another mega contract. I don't think Bobby Witt Jr. Is even sniffing a 10, 12, 13 year deer with the Royals. That's not going to happen. I don't think Prado or Pasquantino or Melendez is touching that either. Because, you know, this is the Royals. You can't guarantee them playoff baseball. You can't guarantee this organization we run in a, run in a particular way that's going to be successful in those senses. And so, you know, I, who wants to get locked into something like that? I think they're going to learn from, you know, the, the Trouts and those, those big contracts that, you know, Trout hasn't played in the playoffs. And, like, how, how long has it been? You know, it's been a while. And, and or maybe did they – I don't know if they – I don't think they went last year. And so you're talking about guys who really want to play that playoff baseball, I'm sure – but you might be able to get them if you're like, listen, just let us buy the first three years of your free agency while you're still, and then you can get back on the market in your late twenties or early thirties and get that big contract. If you want to go somewhere else and, and, and try and win. And I think that's the best argument they have. I don't think they're ever taking anything deep into those free agent years. The thing with Vinny Pasquantino that I like is he's already 24 and the Royals have six more years of control. So that's 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and his age 30 season. If you're going to extend anybody, just one player, the easiest player to extend is Vinny Pasquantino. He's a first baseman DH. He's a bigger guy, less athletic, great hitter, though, great approach, great bat-to-ball skills, and he won't be a free agent until his age 31 season. He would be so easy to give him eight years, 80 mil, 70 mil, say, Vinny, look, you're never going to hit free agency at the ripe old age of 28, 29, 30. You're going to be 31. You're going to be on the backside of your career, and you don't play a position, really. Really. You're probably going to be a DH at that point in your life. Let us give you $80 million. Set up your great-great-grandkids for life and roll with it. 
I think it'd be so easy to lock him up based on his age, based on his position, and based on the fact that he was an 11th round pick and didn't get a million dollars like all these other guys. Like, if they don't sign Vinny Pasquantino, who I can, if they don't sign Vinny Pasquantino, it tells me they're not really trying to extend these guys, which I think is a massive flaw in strategy. It's a flaw in strategy, especially with a team that is so not transactional like them. For the Rays, you might say like, okay, they're just going to flip those guys and get a whole bunch of prospects that are going to be right up and they're going to turn them into some great things or whatever. That would be one thing, but the Royals are really bad at that. And so like, and they, they choose not to do it frequently. A guy like Pasquantino makes a lot of sense because he also has the highest offensive floor of that group. Right. You might see he's probably not the highest floor just because Bobby Wood Jr.'s defense is going to sort of and, and base running ability and overall athleticism is really going to allow his floor to be significant in general. But offensive floor, he probably is probably even higher than than Bobby Wood Jr.'s because the power's there. The strikeout and walk numbers are there. His eye at the plate is so good. He is so disciplined. I think you're right. If they're going to go for somebody and they want the low hanging fruit, it's probably Vinny Pasquantino. Beyond that, it gets a little bit tougher depending on various factors melendez is tough to tell because on the open market i don't know that any team would see him as a catcher really or some might like oakland might you know or something like that but like no team that wants to spend money is probably going to see him as a as like our number one catcher and so you have to treat him a little bit differently maybe and so that one might be a little tougher to really gauge but prado that's not going to be tough to gauge he's going to probably want big money and bobby witt jr's debt going to want like astronomical money. Okay. And so, you know, he's, he's like, he's going to go to free agency. I almost guarantee it. And so, yeah, Pasquantino seems like the move. If you could, if you're willing to make it and can, you think Prado would ask for big money? Yeah. If, if he's a catch 22, right. If his offense is where to the point where we would want him, then yes, he's going to want big money, right? Like if he shows that he can hit at the major league level, cut that strikeout rate to the high twenties, then yeah, he's going to want huge money because he'll be a, valuable first baseman you know he'll be a guy who can get big money as a powerful first baseman who when he hits the market will still be 28 years old you know and the athleticism is there so it's not like that's going to wane and he'll struggle at first base or running the bases or anything he has a body type that's not going to crash and so Mm -hmm. you know you don't worry too much about him if you're another team out there as long as he cuts that strikeout rate and proves he's offensively viable at the major league level the other part about the other part about Vinny and talking about the Royals learning their lesson. It seemed like from that last core, Hosmer was the one that they wanted to bring back and largely because of his intangibles, which I think is potentially one of my favorite things about Vinny. He is the new Salvador Perez from this new wave in my mind. He's the one who sets the tone. He keeps everything lighthearted when it comes time until it comes time to winning. And he is all about winning. So I, his clubhouse presence his intangibles, bringing that, keeping that secured in this clubhouse is not something the Royals are going to lose out on twice, I don't think. And if all things are all the same, they're all getting paid, all asking for the same amount of money. I think Vinny is still, you know, after Bobby Witt Jr., still the guy I'm still wanting to commit to long-term just because of everything he brings to the table. And not necessarily something you want to lock up on on the first base SDH profile, but at the same time, you take it all into consideration and Vinny's the guy for me. I agree. Um, and the more I think about it, the more that that Vinny and Pasquantino is probably the right answer. I do think, though, if you're trying to buy up star power, which the Royals should be all in all on in. trying to buy up star power as cheap as they can get it, every opportunity they get it. MJ Melendez 
certainly has that 10, 20% chance of being a star that I don't know that Prado and Pasquantino could ever be a star. Offensively, yeah. sure. But value-wise, Kyle Schwarber's leading the National League in home runs right now, I think. He's got like two F4 because he's so awful defensively. Yeah. Borderline DH. Like, there's just a ceiling for how good that guy can be. Anthony Rizzo is like maybe the most extreme example of like how close you can get to being a star. The Jason Giambis of the world are just, they don't really exist because now you're getting that kind of offensive production from your starting pitcher in LA. You're getting it from your third baseman's and your catcher if you're Salvador Perez and your center fielders if you're the Angels. Like it's, your people are getting that production off of first base. So it is hard now. Like this, the, the, the requirements of offense for first baseman is so high that I just think if you sign Melendez, and again, in the example I gave, there's less average annual value, you just take that slight chance that he turns into a freaking all-star, perennial, you know, average left fielder defensively and hitting 30 home runs with a on base that creeps up to 400. I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but if you drop down the requirements to like 300 plate appearances, he's like top 15 in walk rate. And all of baseball, like he walks a ton. So you're telling me he could hit. He was leading the Royals in blocks, right? Yes, he has more. And he, yeah, wasn't up until May. Like, yeah, like just (laughs) that 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 chance. He is a perennial all star to me. Is what gives him the edge over Vinny and Nick. I agree. There is that chance there for Melendez, especially, and and he's intriguing to me, especially because we don't know really what he can be defensively. I don't think yet. Um, I think if you're going to give him that deal, they need to decide exactly what they want him to be yes. defensively. If you're going to do that, either just put him in left field and make him a tremendous left fielder, which I think he has the athleticism for. Like, mm-hmm. it's he's not a plotter. He can run. And so, yeah. you know, he has what it takes at least. Have him shagging tons of fly balls. Or if you think, hey, we can improve his receiving behind the plate, let's put him behind the plate. In two years, there's going to be an automatic strike zone anyway. And so the framing won't be an issue, but the, you still got to catch the ball back there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they have to make that decision, because right now the thing that's really killing him is his defensive value. Look at his fan graphs page. He's like minus 17 yeah. on defense or something like that. It's really bad. Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> if you're going to give him that long-term deal, invest in a guy, you know, Hey, we're, he's going to become an above average left fielder and still walk at 15% or whatever he's at you know, keep those strikeouts under control. That's the thing about Prado is like there's an offensive ceiling for him right now because that strikeout rate is so high. Like the thing that's going to keep him from being, you know, Anthony Rizzo or, you know, prime Joey Votto or something like that is that strikeout rate. If he doesn't get it under control, he can't be that superstar offensively that the Royals would, I'm sure, love him to be. But, you know – so that's why Melendez is, is an interesting prospect. And, and in my mind, it's probably if his, if his chance of becoming that superstar is like 15 to 20, then Prado's is probably 10 ish. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's a lot harder in my mind to get those strikeout numbers under control than to get uh, Melendez playing more uh, advanced left field or getting better at catching or something like that. I tweeted this and I'm not joking. The Royals need to sign all their lefties 
and then build a short porch and right field downtown. <laughs> like you have a strategic advantage built into your future right now. Sign these guys at the park they're playing in and then build a park that better suits them and profit. It is a legitimate strategic advantage for roster building. If you sign Melendez, you build the Crawford boxes in left field so his defense doesn't matter so much. If you sign Prado, you build Yankee Stadium in right field and watch him hit 50 home runs a year. Like, I, go do. Go do those things. Go go be smart. Go out there and make some money for yourself by signing guys at deals that we don't know would work yet. Like, I don't know. I, and I think there's something there. And a short porch and right wouldn't hurt Sally either. Just like Aaron Judge hits those line drives yep. to right field that become home runs. Yeah. Some of those so Salvador Perez is going to put quite a few out to right field if yeah. they move if they move a fence in you know ridiculously like it is at Yankee Stadium. If they if they go with that plot that they're kind of talking about, was that in the West West Bottoms? Uh, the East Village, I think. Uh, yeah, oh, I thought okay. it was East Village. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that might be. A, well, I'm probably still talking about the same plot, but wrong name, but. <laughs> right there, right there, west of Seventy One Highway in downtown, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the well, East. Architecturally East. speaking, if they're facing that, then you have to kind of have a short porch there in right field. So, I mean, it just kind of all works out. Sorry, guys, we're not trying to have like lean in our advantage that we have for the next decade. We had to do it this way. Yeah, Mike Massey hits thirty home runs in a season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'm all for it. Absolutely, <laughs> Mickey Lopez, ten home run guy. Mickey- <laughs> Nikki Lopez. Did you my, see my. Sean Newkirk's picture he tweeted of like Nikki Lopez has no hits to right field? Yeah, I did. Oh, I saw wow. that. none. Yeah, I saw Not that. Single hit past the second baseman in right field. That's Goody, wild. It's so tough. That's so tough for him to do. I mean, like, that's not his profile in any way. So, wow. a lot, lot of ground outs to second, though. I can tell you that. Yes. Uh, Marcus, the minor league players have asked Major League Baseball play, Player Association to represent them. I have very mixed feelings about this. You said your feelings are not mixed. Mm-mm. I know which way you're leaning on this. You know which way I'm leaning. <laughs> I, I want you to lay out the pros because I'm going to come in with the cons and scare everybody away from it here in a minute. <laughs> Just know I will respond to those cons. But anyway, <laughs> so the pros are quite obvious, right? Which is that minor league baseball players have absolutely no leverage to ensure adequate working conditions, adequate wages, and those sorts of things for themselves. And any, anybody who's like ever been in a job where you felt like um, you're not getting your stake or you, you're not being heard and realize you have no leverage to negotiate for more understands what that's like, right? You know, where, where your company thinks you are very expendable and then so is unwilling to do anything for you because you have no power. It's even worse for uh, minor league baseball players because they're leveraging sort of a dream that those guys have which is to make it to Major League Baseball, and they leverage it to give them way less than living wages, bad conditions to work under, and those sorts of things. They have to unionize with Major League Baseball because they're the only ones who currently have power. Not, 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 I don't just mean like they need to unionize. I mean they need to connect. If they, if they had a union that was just Minor League Baseball, it would, it would be almost as ineffectual as it is right now. And so you have to connect yourself to someone who has more power than you so that you can borrow some of their leverage. And that's why they need to do it with Major League Baseball is because those guys, the guys making hundreds of millions of dollars, some of whom are making more than entire minor league teams, multiple minor league teams in a year, they have to latch themselves to those guys so that they can get their interests protected in some way. 
Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I think what a lot of people are missing here is the attachment to Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. And Josh and I were talking about this. If minor leaguers try to unionize, they're going to lose jobs. Major League Baseball will tell them to piss off. Like, well, go away. We're not paying the 40th guy on the roster in Columbia. Like, he, we don't care. Go away. He's just there so that you can play ball. You, you, you prospect Gavin Cross, right? I mean, they're not going to do it. If minor leaguers tried to unionize without major league, the PA, they would lose jobs. They would not gain anything. They have no leverage. What I'm concerned about is that the big league players union, players association, has not been good at negotiating their own CBAs. Oh, yeah, that's true. They've been getting no. crapped on by Major League Baseball. Well, and now all I'll of a sudden we're supposed to trust them with the minor leaguers? Like, I'm afraid what's going to end up happening is the Players Association is going to be like, okay, yeah, you're going to pay for their food. And baseball's like, sure. And you're going to pay for their houses. Sure. And you're going to fly them to games. Okay. What's the catch? And they're going to be like, well, we're going to cut like 50% of the jobs. And what's going to end up happening in minor league baseball? Minor league baseball will look like the Arizona Fall League, where the surprise Saguaros are made up of four big league teams, and you only have seven or eight Arizona Fall League teams. Low A will be eight teams. It'll be eight teams constructed of about three big league teams each, four big league teams each. And then they will put all their low A players together to compete against other low A teams. You have one league of eight teams. High A, probably the same way. Maybe in double A, we get two leagues of eight teams each, triple A the same way. But the catch is going to be, okay, well, we're not paying. And God almighty, I don't want to use Royals prospects names, but think about the, the last reliever out of the bullpen in quad cities. They're not going to pay him no matter what. They can unionize all they want, but unless Major League Baseball is willing to go on strike for the last guy out of the bullpen in Quad Cities, Major League Baseball owners are not paying them. That is a fact. They won't do it. So they better be willing to strike because we can sit here and talk about what we want the owners to do with their money. They are not paying them. That is a fact. It is a guarantee. So that is what I'm fearful of is that the PA is just going to get into a bad negotiation and all of a sudden we're sitting here going, what did they do? Well, to be clear, like they've already contracted even when they weren't unionized, <laughs> like they're already cutting positions. And I've, I'm, I've, I've heard those arguments in other sectors so many times, you know, that's like if we unionize, then they're going to cut jobs in some ways because we're going to be demanding better wages and then they refuse to lose any any sort of money or give us any bigger chunk of the pie. The fact is. Major League Baseball teams could be equitable to minor league players and still make money, and if they can't. The, the fact is they can, but if they couldn't, right, they're very opaque about their books. Like, oh, we don't, we don't make it. We all lose money. They sometimes try and say, which is just the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. They could all be much more equitable and pay living wages to minor leaguers and still be fine. Completely fine. Um, but let's assume that they couldn't, which is the argument that they'll make, right? They'll use that argument to cut teams and cut guys. Well, guess what? If you can't if you think your business model is better without minor league players, which I don't think that they do, then you should let them go, right? Then that should be that, right? Like we dealt with the contraction previously. Right now, like letting that argument win would be like saying 
okay, because they're threatening to do this thing, we'll just let them treat us poorly instead, right? Like, and I, I don't, I don't dig that argument. I'm like, do what's right on your end. You know, what's right is to be unionized, to gain more power for yourselves. And then, of course, the MLBPA, if they want to, can put non-contraction on the negotiating table. They can say, hey, we, you will not contract the minor leagues as part of our negotiations. You will not, you know, cut minor league salaries as part of our negotiations. They can do that, right? Ultimately, too, you, you become a, a recognized labor union and part of that. That also gets you legal protections that exist more broadly against things like the cutting of jobs and stuff like that. And so those legal protections would have some power and some force as well. The thing that I fear as well, and you, you kind of hit on it there, is when Major League Baseball cut last time, what they did, it was kind of a terribly ironic <laughs> argument, is they said, oh, you guys are so miserable. Like, these jobs suck so bad. We're not treating you right. Well, then go away. We'll just cut your job. We're sorry we're, we're mistreating you. You just don't have a job at all now. And it's like, I look at that and I go, oh, no. Like, there's there goes minor league baseball players. Like, now they – we don't have that league anymore. And Major League Baseball said, look, now we're treating our players better. It's like, well, you just cut hundreds of thousands of jobs. Like, there's – like, I look at weird... that. I look at that and I think they should have had a union to protect them. Like, if they had, if they had been unionized at that point, and the number of minor league contracts, players, teams, whatever, was a part of a collective bargaining agreement, they couldn't have been cut. You see what I'm saying? If that's if on the table. Like, that, if again, it's on we're, the table, right. there's, But there's all kinds of things that Major League Baseball should have, the PA should have gone to the owners with, and they just don't. Like, like there's all right. kinds of things we think they should be doing. Well, they yeah, they, like, the PA has to make that a priority because, or the, or maybe the same thing happens again. But if they're too short-sighted to recognize that they're going to take on minor leaguers as part of their union, and the owners aren't going to do anything to come back at them, that I, th I don't think they're that naive. You remember the last round of negotiations? The players weren't taking shit the way they were previously. They, they, they know that the owners have only bad intentions in a lot of ways, and so. I'm glad that, you know, this is happening at this moment when the PA doesn't seem like such pushovers that they've been in the past. And so, you know, if they're, but if they're going to do it, if they're going to take on these minor leaguers, they have to make those minor leaguers lives and livelihoods a priority. They can't just which, say like, which often it doesn't happen. In the NFL PA, a lot of the time, the NFL PA is run by the players who make all the money and less is cared about the guys who are, you know, filling out practice squads and making an NFL league minimum and stuff like that. They have to, they have to take care of guys. Last, last guy out of the bullpen in quad cities, all the way up to Max Scherzer. It's but I've, I've been shocked that it has not even been touched in either of these labor negotiations, these last like four years that minor league hasn't had any kind of representation uh, or any kind of like when they, when they started providing housing at the beginning of this year, uh, to a certain extent, that was a huge thing. I mean, you could you could talk to these guys over and over and hear about all their stories about really bad living conditions just to play baseball. So that in itself is a win, but it's just very surprising to me that <clears throat> the guys that go on and get paid and get their deals and then start getting involved with these labor negotiations in the CBA, they don't. They almost like treat the minor leaguers as a completely separate entity. So I'm just kind of curious as to how that whole process is now in the fold if this is how it's all going to go what does that change on any of their end i think i think there is a certain mentality 
that pulls the ladder up behind you, right? That that it doesn't yeah. think it does, but it's like, well, I made it up the ladder. You should be able to make it up the ladder too. Yeah. You know? And the funny thing is what that does, it creates a system where people who have a lot of financial support from family and things like that can make it through a minor league career and make it into major league baseball or mm -hmm. people who got big bonus money, you know, to, when they got drafted and things like that can make it through a minor league career and make it in baseball for guys who don't have that family support or don't have that huge big bonus money. This is, I mean, you want to ask a question like why are why does why does it seem like baseball in America is skewed so much towards wealthy kids going through elite camps and all that? It's because their parents know I can support this kid all the way through college, all the way through major league baseball, you know, minor league baseball. You know, it's a lot harder for someone who you know doesn't have that kind of support. And if you yeah. continue a system where they don't have representation, you're just going to continue that cycle of like you know you can't make it in major league baseball unless you come from a wealthy family. Well. A lot of guys who come from those families think that they were born on third, to be honest with you. So, yeah. That was actually a really good conversation. I'm glad we had that conversation. I feel better about the space we're, we're in, and I am a little more confident in their ability to unionize. I'm still, I guess, I'm just a little jaded by previous negotiations where I'm kind of just waiting for the PA to screw it up. Um, but we'll find out. We'll see because that's why we do this. I would, <laughs> I got to be careful. Um, that's, uh, that's why we just going to be like, no union talk. <laughs> to, promote players and to promote what these kids are doing and, and to shine light on, on our minor leaguers. So, yeah. I, well, yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. Jaded is about the only disposition you can have when it comes to talking about baseball and labor negotiations. There's no other way to be at this point. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a correct disposition. Yeah. Really quick final thoughts on the night. Um, my final thought, and I, I texted both of you and said, here's what our final thoughts have to be about is that cheap and homemade Italian food is always better than expensive Italian food. I have never had a, an Italian meal that cost more than 20 bucks where I got done with the food and I was like, man, you know what? That was better than like going to Olive Garden or Fazoli's. Like there's something about cheap Italian food and homemade Italian food that is so much better than going down to like um, Garozzo's or, you know, some Italian joint downtown. What's the really, the really, really fancy one? It's like down in a bunker underground. Um, help me. There's like a, Italian place underground in Kansas City. It's like too rich for my blood. Uh, yeah, that's that's way too cool for my palate. <laughs> oh, I'm super claustrophobic. I went once. I'll never go back. Uh, Olive <laughs> cellar. I can't think of it. But anyway, I just I am team cheap Italian food. I don't need fancy schmancy Italian food. That's my final thought of the night. I just had some. There's this there's this mom and pop Italian restaurant in Blue Springs. Their chicken parm is just it's so good and it's my, like you know like nine bucks oh my god it's so good if my partner listens to this podcast she is gonna have a stroke because she's like a big time foodie oh, and no. you know the first off the notion that you you're into a cheap time which i am too so we're like oil and water i'm like i'm like a frozen pizza kind of guy and a, you know whatever um but she's like very into like 
good fine dining and things like that. And so she'll take me to a good Italian restaurant every now and again, a good one, an expensive one. Um, and there are some that are good. Like we eat at a place called Bella Napoli in Brookside. I've had their like sausage pizza. They kind of try and, you know, have a foot in both camps where they're like, we'll make stuff like people like me would eat, right? Like a, a nice pizza or something like that. And then they have all this stuff that she would like. And I try it and I'm like, I don't like it. Give me my pizza back, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm on mostly team Alex here that like, I'll take a cheap Italian food meal and just feel really, really good about it after I'm done rather than like, I spent $80 on this dinner and I kind of got to convince myself that I liked it, you know, like, yes. uh, because I spent $80. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It usually involves some kind of seafood too, that marks it up like 30,000%. And you're just like, I'm not paying $70 for uh octopus to go in my manicotti. I don't need that in my life. I can, I can just go to hit the Fazoli's, get the chicken parm there. That is, has no right. <laughs> And it's probably not nearly as good as it is I think it is, but you get get me some of that. It is a hundred percent a breaded McChicken with <laughs> ragu on it with adente. I will say they are adente, but I I theorize that it's purely out of laziness. And then you throw on a side of pizza on the side because they do it by the slice. It's also very bad, but it's pizza, so whatever. And the breadsticks are the saltiest thing you ever had like a salt lick for for deer hunting and stuff the breadsticks are like a salt lick and i just love it so much fazoli's you are the man i will say the greatest meal i've ever had was at a fancy italian place in madison wisconsin and again we're all talking about chicken parm here which like just is a red flag for all the real italian food eaters out there okay (laughs) a bunch of uh, a bunch of you know a bunch of midwestern guys want want Uh chicken parm at the italian place yeah but i had a chicken parm at this fancy italian place in madison once greatest meal i've ever eaten amazing Hmm. buca de beppo was the italian joint downtown you guys ever heard of that yeah i've heard of it but i've never eaten there so downtown on the plaza on the plaza the plaza the plaza it's, it's, like, right, it's right next to me. It's literally a mile away. I can walk to it. Um, yeah. right Uh-oh. now. I'm rich, have, rich here. I have friends from Louisville who it's a Louisville. It's Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. It's like no, they, they just, on the roof of their mouth. You had Plaza, friends. Plaza. Louisville. Plaza. It's Louisville. What is happening right now? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The baked spaghetti at Fazoli's is the only oh, Italian yeah. food I need. That's it. That's all yeah. I need. <laughs> I will delicious. say, I have last thing, last thought on this. I have speaking of the homemade thing, is that's my problem with like fancy Italian food is you can almost always make it better at home. I have a an uncle who, long story, but was raised by an Italian man, Italian family, and he makes his own Alfredo, like he homemade Alfredo sauce, homemade pasta sauce. That's all he does. He will not eat it out of a jar. It is so Crazy. damn good. It's not worth going out to eat. I just call him. If I really wanted really good Italian food, I would call him before going out and paying $40 for Italian food. See, I love Alfredo sauce, but I can't eat it. It tears up my guts. And so mm. you know, it's one of those. There are vices Ugh. and I know. choices we make. I know. I'm, I'm willing to cross those lines for good Alfredo. <laughs> for some ice cream, like a really good milkshake or something, I'm willing to cross mm. those lines. I just Let's see what happens. If I ever get a chance to try your uncle's Alfredo, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll change your life. Good. My my palate was born in the fires of a five dollar CC's pizza buffet. I think your your <laughs> uncle's Alfredo will one hundred percent rock my socks off. 
Gentlemen, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, thank you to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring the show this year. KCSN, Tickets for Less, Drum Farm. We didn't have a minor league minute tonight, but Drum Farm, who usually picks up our minor league minute. Charlie Hustle, thanks for the shirts. Joe's Kansas City Barbecue. We'll have to do a final thoughts on barbecue later because I could go round and round and round. I had LC's burnt ends the other day. I didn't want to leave. Um, but anyway, thank you, you to again leave. to all of our sponsors. Thank you to you gentlemen for joining me. Good night, Canada.